You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this special edition of the Essential Apple Podcast. Uh, today, we have a very special guest. We have uh, a visionary software architect, former Microsoft chief technical officer and current CEO of the photo app Milio, David Vaskovich. And I hope I've pronounced that right, David because I'm not that great. Um, And he is going to talk to us about uh, what he calls the post-pandemic photo surge and uh, how to best manage your photo uh, collection. So um, I hope I've got that right, David. Um, Feel free to tell people, you know, who you are, where you come from, and what your app is all about. Okay, thank you very much. And you pronounced my name perfectly, which is unusual. So if I had a hat, I'd be taking my hat off for you. Well, thank you very much. Because <laughs> I usually so, mangle people's names, I have to admit. Yeah. I mean, I'm an old-time computer person. I started programming in 1966, if you can imagine that. And um, about uh, 2014, about eight, nine years ago, I started a company and it's in the photo space, but it's it's different from pretty much all the other products in the space. So, you know, we have an editing, we have editing tools, but we're not really an editor. We can help you with backup and protection, but that's not our main mission. Our mission statement is changing the way the world remembers. So one thing that I find is uh, there are a lot of people who are drowning in photos. There's really no other way to describe it. Now, you mentioned the pandemic surge. A lot of the people who are drowning in photos, you know, like, okay, here's a perfect example. So I have all my pictures. I have about 600,000 pictures. So my library is pretty big. The average person in the 20th century took 5,000 pictures over the course of a lifetime, you know, 24 or 36 pictures at a time, because that was a roll of film. Even 5,000 pictures is a lot to organize, but the... Uh, average soccer mom, as we call them in the U.S., takes 1,200 pictures today at a birthday party with her iPhone or Android phone. It's just so easy to do. So people end up with pictures here and there and everywhere. They have pictures on disks. They have pictures in Apple Photos, pictures in Google Photos, pictures on, you know, old drives, and they don't know what to do with them. Now, one of the interesting examples of how this comes up is... Um, so one of the central features of Milio, which I haven't seen in any other product, is what we call the life calendar. So the life calendar looks like a calendar, like Google Photos and Apple Photos and Lightroom have a way of, you know, looking at your pictures chronologically, but it doesn't look like a calendar. But this calendar has days and it has months and it has years. But the other thing that's unique about it is it has decades. Why in the world would a calendar have decades? Because my calendar goes back to when my mother was born. So if I if if this was not if this was a demo, I would pull out my phone or my tablet or my computer. It doesn't matter which device. And we'd start scrolling back through the years and we get back to when I was born and we get back to my mother sledding as a uh, 11 year old. Well, and it would all be right there. I'll, I'll and so you. if you asked me when I left Microsoft, for example, 
there was uh, I left a year after Bill Gates left and there was a goodbye party for Bill. And I, it's in okay. my calendar, like it shows up in the decades view. And so, I, OK, yes, I left the year after that. Oh, 2010. OK, OK. okay. So I, I'll tell you what, David, what I'm going to do is I'm actually I don't normally do stuff by Zoom. But what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to record this and I'll save okay. the video and I'll put it up on our website and put a link in the you know the show notes for the um interview so if you want to show your stuff to the camera you can i'm going to turn on the record recording in progress okay then uh yeah i can do it on my phone but you know what i'm going to do i'm going to get an ipad give me one second i'll yeah, be no right problem, back okay Dave. no problem actually if i if you're recording and i do something on my screen will you see it you should be able to do share screen let me uh check i've okay. never actually hosted one before <laughs> I've been in many, but not hosting. Here it is, share screen, share screen. All right, excellent. You should be able to share your screen then. Wait, this meeting, okay, first I have to acknowledge that it's being recorded. Host disabled participant share Hang screening. On. Then screen I need to, uh, I need to go over here and uh, I think I need to, if I make you the host, I think that should uh, allow you. Yeah, if you to... make me the host, I'll be able to share the screen. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to, just doing something on my Milio. Okay. So I'm going to go back to there's Zoom and uh, Zoom. No, that's not what I want. I want this one. And now if I go here, I'll say share screen. And then I'm going to say this one. Hey, you should now see my Milio. There we are. Yes, I can see it. So we're in that. If we go into uh, 2021, of course, now that I'm giving a demo, it's going to be really slow. I don't know why oh, yeah, that of course. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might end up restarting it or something like that. Don't, don't worry. Don't worry. So, okay, normally it's instantaneous. I'm really sorry about how slow it is. Yeah, well, that's okay. I re it's... really will restart it if it continues being slow like this. But, there we okay, there's, there's, there's a view of a month, and I didn't take pictures every day that month. No, I can see. So, and then yeah. there's a picture of a year, and this year is incomplete, but if we scroll, we'll see other years that are more complete. And you can see that there are, like, uh, events here. Uh, so that's, like, you know, the events of my lifetime. But if I wanted to go back to 1923... I really don't want to do it like a month or a year at a time. So now I'm in that decades view that I was telling you about. So if I start scrolling back, okay, now we're going back. And at this point, we're in the 60s and we're in the 50s. And people are wondering how old I really am. Because if this is my life, how could we go, be going back into the 30s and the 40s and the 20s? Because it's also my mother's life and you know my father's life and so on. So now why do I bring this up. So people drowning in photos, these are all photos that I have. And now here's an interesting one. So I was born in 1952. And you can see there's an event there that says David Bourne. That's my name, David. Yep. If I click in that event, there's a picture of my mother and my father and me. And of course, it's obvious which one is me. Okay, so here's <laughs> an interesting question. Do you have a picture of yourself when you were born? Uh, my mother has one of the classic, um, like, early 60s photo of me naked laying on a sort of sheepskin rug um yeah face down so she has it yes so when i ask people if they have a picture of themselves when they were born or as a baby i, I people sort of break into four categories about a quarter of the people nobody says the picture doesn't exist about a quarter of the people say yeah, the picture is somewhere. My parents have it, or it's in an album, or it's in a box. And, you know, I could go look for it. Not sure if I could really find it. That's a quarter of the people. And then there's another quarter of the people who will say, oh, yeah, I eventually got all those pictures scanned. So that way, and I back them up. So if there's a fire, I won't lose them. And it's on a disc. Doesn't mean I can find them, right? Yep. So, um, and then another quarter will say, it's on a disc. 
it's all organized, but it's on a computer in my home office. And, you know, like we're at a restaurant, so I still can't show it to you. Right. <laughs> I mean, we're now at three quarters of the people. And then the last quarter will say, well, it's here. It's pretty rare to say they can find it right away. And then a few people like I'd be one of them will say, oh, yeah, let me show you that picture. Let me show you the picture from like, you know, we were talking about how I would remember uh, when I left Microsoft. So if we start going forward from here, you can see events. You know, we're now, okay, now we're in the, the current century. And if we go to uh, 2008, there it is. My cursor's on Bill Goodbye. So that's a goodbye party for Bill. So I was wrong. I didn't leave in 2010. I left in 2009, a year after. So this is a picture from that party. So, here, you know, here's what we're about. Like, um, there are a lot of different kinds of people who use Milio. And, you know, you could think of Milio as a digital asset manager. There are a lot of people in your audience who know what a digital asset manager is and would be excited to think that there's one that ordinary people could use. I really dislike that term because it implies that it's aimed at professionals. And we do have professionals who use Milio. We one of the things that's really cool about the product is it scales. So we have no trouble at all with a million pictures. And we actually have a few users with three and five and even six million pictures. And the product is, works really well. But we also have, like, for instance, one of my favorite customer conversations was with um, a plumber in Holland. And, you know, I like to just talk to kind of random customers every so often, like regularly. And he has about 20,000 pictures. It's a far cry from a million. But, you know, if, if I gave you um, 20,000 pictures, if they were in physical form, that's a lot of boxes of pictures. Organizing those pictures would be a big job. Like it's not a day or a week or a month. It's like a huge job, even if you have something to help you. So, you know, he, I'm talking to him about Milio, and I suddenly realized that he's a premium subscriber. Like he's at the high end, it's, he's at a level in our subscription uh, hierarchy that doesn't even exist anymore. And I say to him, uh, why are you giving us $250 a year? And he said, David, you don't understand. Pictures never go away. And they're one of the few things that only become more valuable with time. So my picture library is only growing. And he said, so here's, here's my problem. First of all, I have an iPhone and my wife has an Android phone and I want to stay married. So right away <laughs> I have a problem because, and, and she said, and he said, uh, I use a Mac and she uses a Windows machine. And so we need to be able to support all those different platforms. And Milio does a brilliant job of that. He said, secondly, I love the fact that you store everything in the file system. He said, I'm not sure that anything will be around forever. Like, will Google be here in a hundred years? Well, Probably. Very but true, Kodak is Very true. Uh, yeah, Kodak is not here anymore. And at one time, the stock that you recommended to widows and orphans was Kodak because they would never go away. So the one thing that I'm sure is true is if all of your pictures are in files and folders, one way or another, you'll be able to work with them. So he said, I love the fact that that's how Milio works. And then here's the really other interesting part about Milio is um, so. I have all my pictures and all my computers, all my phones and all my tablets. Okay, so let's just geek out for a couple of minutes. How could that be? I have 600,000 pictures. So let's talk about two different things. Let's first of all talk about my originals. And then let's talk about all the devices that can't possibly hold originals because they're too big. Is that fair? Yeah, that's very, very apt, David. Very Okay, apt. so the thing with the originals is you want to make sure you're not going to lose them. 
And what Milio does is, so we ask you to um, identify some number of machines that have enough storage for all your originals. We call those vaults. There's, there, you know, it's not a security thing. It's just, you know, this machine yep. is a vault because it has enough space for all my originals. I don't know. Prime, prime we, library, I guess you might call it. Yeah. What would you call it? Like a prime library, a master. Yeah, it's a prime library. It's a prime library. That's another way to put it. And we ask, we recommend that you have two or three of those. Like, I, you know, two at home and one somewhere else. Now, yep. the, the other thing about Milio that's really unique is we're cloud agnostic. So what does that mean? Um, in my case, I choose to not have my pictures in the cloud for a variety of reasons, performance, security, privacy. So I have two vaults at home and two vaults at the office, and Milio keeps them in sync automatically. I spend zero minutes per month on backup, and I'm, I'm not worried that something is going to happen to my office and my home at the same time. So that's what we do with originals. But well, as we as we like we, as we like to say on Essential Apple, uh, David, if that happens, you've probably got far bigger things to worry about than the loss of your photographs. Exactly. Okay. So, my Leo has these really unique. We call them previews. Sometimes we call them optimized images. Mm. They're they're very small, but so small means they're under they're under a megabyte, which means that. On a one terabyte iPad, which is, you know, that's pretty normal these days. You can even yep. buy two terabyte iPads. I can have all 600,000 of my pictures and it takes less than half the storage of the iPad. Okay, but that's not the unique part. The unique part is despite how small they are, they are indistinguishable from the original on a retina class display. Okay, that's So good. if I'm sitting with you on an airplane or in a restaurant and we have no internet connection and I want to show you that picture of when I was born or the picture from the goodbye party or the picture from my trip to Peru or, you know, like any picture I want, it's all there on my phone, even if I put the phone into airplane mode and you won't be able to tell that you aren't looking at the original. No. So, so what you're saying is what you're storing on the individual devices is... How would I call it? Yeah, an optimized image. So good enough to but display. Nobody, but nobody else's optimized images are indistinguishable. But I'm going to go farther. No. They're not just indistinguishable. They're editable. Wow. Now that's that's so, an interesting piece. Yeah. So when I'm sitting on that airplane and the internet connection, either there isn't one or it's so slow that there might as well not be one. It doesn't matter. Like, okay, this is my opportunity to work in some of my pictures. I can organize them. I can, you know, this one's overexposed. I want to crop this one. And when the plane lands, the devices all talk to each other. The first chance it gets, that device will connect with the internet and all the changes will flow to all my other machines. Okay, so here's the last unique thing about the optimized so, images. So let me let, let me just ask you one question there, David. Yeah. If you're If you're applying those... Let's call them filter layers because effectively that's what changes usually are to yeah. one of your optimized images. Say on your phone on this flight, yeah. when it flows back to your other vaults, does it also yeah. apply that to the original photograph? Bingo. <clears throat> right. Okay. So what you're saying is because they're because they're effectively filter layers, it can apply the same change to the original high resolution image. Yeah, it's non-destructive editing. And then the last thing we do, which turns out to be quite difficult because we also work with raw images, is <clears throat> we preserve color fidelity. So let's say that, you know, you 
you're doing something, somebody's having a party and you're making, I don't know, a book for them or a poster as a gift and you're doing the work on an airplane. And, you know, we even have brushes. So you make some adjustments, you crop, maybe in some places you do this, you do that. And then you get back and you're on your vault where you have full-sized originals. And when it comes to doing big prints or books, you actually, then you really do want the full-sized original. When you look at it, it's going to look the same. It's, you don't have to worry about that. So that's really a big deal. Okay, so now we have this situation where um, all of a sudden I can have all my pictures everywhere all the time. I don't have to think about it, like my library. And I, I can work on the pictures whenever I want. And then you've already seen that we can organize them into this really beautiful calendar, which has day, month, year, and decade view. And the calendar is also beautiful because you see all these pictures that are you know, key points from that particular year. So, but sometimes uh, I want to look at things on a map. So here's all the places I've been. And if I sort of, you know, I grew up in Toronto. So if I go to Toronto and zoom in, then I start to see more detail. And, you know, these are places in Toronto, like my sister's house, my mother's house, yep. and like that. So that we have this really beautiful map view. And then I can do things like, uh, okay, uh, let's do this. Um Oops, that's not what I meant to do. I meant to go up here. Sorry. Okay. Sometimes even I do the wrong thing. <laughs> no, that's it. not what I with great, cow- with great power comes a level of complexity. It's, you know, unavoidable, David. Okay. Okay, so I typed in my sister's name, and it filtered the map to show me all the places in which there are pictures with her in the picture. Okay, excellent. Okay, so that's pretty cool as well. So it's not just a map. It's actually an active way of organizing your pictures. So let's cancel that. And then there's, uh, we talked about the, um, let's close out the filter bar. We talked about the now infamous folder view. So this is a folder, but if we back up, these are all my folders. Okay, so I want to, as I talk about folders, I'm going to say one other thing, and then I'm going to back out and go to the big picture again. So if we go back here in history, because so far we've been talking about pictures, so that's photos, but it's also videos. So, but there's one other thing that we all have a lot of information about. So my father was killed in a plane crash in 1966. So for me, 1966, if you're on the website and you're looking at this, that was the key event of the year, one of the key events in my life. And if I click in that event, here's what we see. We see some uh, clips from the web, newspaper headlines. We see some pictures, but there wasn't much to take pictures of. And then we see this thing here. I'm going to zoom in on it. So this is a PDF. Okay. What's this PDF doing? in a collection of photos. Okay. This is the trip report written by the engineer dispatched to the craft site by what used to be called BOAC. Yep. Okay. And he sent, he, after, um, he decided to send that trip report, which has the right title and date and everything on it to as many families of survivors as he could find. So my sister got it. She sent it to me as an attachment and I put it into my Leo. And it just automatically appeared in this calendar event. And then this is as important a memory as the pictures. And if I was sitting on a plane, even a plane with no internet connection, I could click on it and I'd be reading the trip report. So, okay, that's pretty interesting. Um, So let's go back into folder view, because I'm going to talk about what kinds of things can you have in folders. So, for example, um, Uh, what's my blood type? Can can I ask you one question there, David? Does it... Uh, does Milio support like smart folders so you can say create a folder that contains pictures of horses, for example? Not yet. 
Not yet. Okay, that's fine. Just, you know, that's the sort of thing that my listeners are interested in. So Yeah, yeah. no, we get asked about that a lot. But we OCR everything. Okay. So if you take a picture of a restaurant that has a sign in the front, and then you want to find out the restaurant by name, you'll be able to find it, even though you didn't do any keywording. Hmm. So for example, I want to know my blood type. I should remember my blood type, but even after all, even though I do this in demos all the time, I still don't remember it. <laughs> but if I type in Red Cross, there's my Red Cross card. There we go. Yep. So, you know, driver's license, passport, credit cards. Like one time I was on a beach and I wanted to get something from a restaurant. I didn't have my wallet. But I had my credit card right there. So, I mean, I could have also, if they took it, used Google Pay or Apple Pay, but I had it. Now, here's another thing. Um, So I do a lot of reading, and then I'm going to come back to photos. Um, So what happens is that I can never keep up with my reading, like technical papers and just things I'm interested in. So what I used to do was I would, like if there was a magazine article I liked, I would tear it out of the magazine, staple the pages together, and put it in a bag. Yep. And then when I went on a plane trip, I'd go through the reading pile and I'd measure the success of the plane trip by how much lighter the bag was at the end of the trip <laughs> versus the beginning of the trip. Okay. Then around 2010, uh, Apple announced the iPad and Dropbox came into existence. So I started putting articles into my Dropbox. The problem is that when I would get on the airplane, so first of all, Dropbox will replicate folders to your computer. It doesn't replicate to your iPad. It puts pointers there, links. Right, yeah. When you get on that airplane, if there's no internet connection or it's too slow, you can't read what you put in there. Okay. So now I put everything in my Leo. And then here's the other thing. It looks beautiful. These are the papers in my reading pile. Very nice. Okay, now I'm going to show you one more thing. And... Uh, if we were doing this demo in person, I'd do it both ways. It's, it somehow doesn't come across the same in a blog, but I'm going to do a search. And here's the point. So all, everything you've seen, all the documents, the Red Cross card, all the photographs, you know, there are videos in there as well. I didn't show one. They're all on my computer, my tablet, my phone. And on my computer, they're in the file system. Like I could leave my Leo, go to the file system. They'd all be there. So I'm going to look for a paper about um, a Google database called Spanner. Okay. If and I do the, a search the, for that. By, by the way, I just, yeah, I don't want to break your flow, David, but I think that's really important that you make that clear because this is one of the things that a lot of people um, find troublesome with Lightroom or um, various other photo libraries is that they want to concatenate all your pictures into their database and that's all very well unless a something goes wrong or b you want to change to another system and a lot of the people who listen to essential apple and or interact on our slack say they would prefer a system where the originals live in a file structure you know on their hard drive and that the app manages the library so i think that's you know that's very important it's an important point uh, very Very, important for some of our listeners yeah we're the last man standing which i guess is a british expression we're the last man standing that honors and respects the file system excellent so the other reason that you want the file system is uh like okay lightroom classic uses the file system but the handwriting's on the wall adobe really wants you to go to lightroom creative cloud and it doesn't use the file system it's not a choice it's one of the complaints people have so everything is in the adobe black box or the google black box or the apple black box and guess what products or tools work with that black box 
In the case of Adobe, it's Adobe products and tools. In the case, so if I want to use, like I like using a wide variety of tools. You know, I might want to use Affinity. I might want to use PT GUI for panoramas. Um, I also, because I have documents in here, I might want to use Word or Excel or PowerPoint. I might want to use uh, Photoshop. I might want to use DxO. And if it's in the file system, I can use whatever I want. But if it's in a black box, somebody's told me what I can use. And that sort of rubs me the wrong way. That's fine. Okay, so here it is. It's in the file system. So that means I have a file system with 600,000 files and uh, a lot of folders. Actually, I can tell you exactly how many folders. Let's go up a level. So I have a file system with, if you look up here, it's a bit hard to read, 599,753 items. And then there's some more over on the left and two other folders. So it probably is 600,000. And I have, isn't that interesting? It's all eights, if I'm reading it correctly, 8,888 folders. (laughs) If I do a search for Spanner, now it happens in this case, Spanner, the word is in the title of, is in the file name. So that search won't look inside the document, which the Mylio search will, but that search on an M1 Mac with SSD storage or on a A Windows machine, you know, let's say um, a Spectre or, you know, any of the fastest machines, a Dell XPS, that search will take 30 to 45 seconds, which is a long time. It could take longer, but that's the minimum. When I do any of those searches, like when I did the Red Cross search, we didn't bother looking at how fast it was. And the reason we didn't is because you can't time it. It's always under half a second. Excellent. When I did that filter, all the pictures with my sister in it, under half a second looking up this paper under half a second. Now this is folder view, but if I click over here and say, show me all the items. So here are all the items that have spanner in them somewhere, Um, you know, documents and images like, so now I have everything. I have it in the file system where I can work with it outside of Malio and I have it in a place where I can get it really quickly. So let me kind of bring this first part to a close uh, with two interesting stories. Okay, let, let me say one last thing. Where does Mylio fit in? So it fits in in two ways. First of all, um, you know, you were talking at the beginning, I asked about your audience and you said you don't know if you have any professionals in your audience. And uh, we have users who are professional photographers. It's not a target for us. Like, you know, we love them, but it's not a target. So I think the world kind of breaks into three broad categories. And I think your users are all in the middle category. The bottom category, which is about 2 billion people, that's a lot of people, are people who take photos. Like these days, everybody takes photos, mostly not with cameras, mostly with phones. Mm -hmm. Everybody takes photos with their phones. The photos could be a picture of the menu of the restaurant. It could be a price tag, but they also like snapshots, things, memories, you know, people take photos. Most people don't want to lose their photos. They prefer to have their photos be safe and they want to be able to find them, but they don't want to spend any time organizing their photos in any way. It's just not something they're interested in doing. They have other things to do in their life. Yeah, they have so what, those, they, they have what um, what I used to call the shoebox principle, which is what yeah. most of our grandparents had. They would have maybe an album with, you know, special photographs in. All the rest went in a shoebox. Great. That is so Google and Apple have revolutionized the shoebox. It's the best. It's the best shoebox you could ever have. You just put your pictures in there. Probably Apple and Google are going to be around for a long time. They make sure that they have lots of copies of your pictures so it can't be lost. They do really good face recognition, really good object recognition, and they have albums. And so if you don't want to spend 
any time at all in your pictures, which is the majority of the market, that's where you should go. You're not going to use Mylio. Then at the top, so let's say that's 2 billion. At the top of the market is 2 million users. It's a much smaller number. It's still a healthy number. These are the Lightroom users and some similar products. So these users know what gradient filters are. They know what hierarchical keywords are. Uh, and they want to spend a lot of time working on their pictures, organizing them and working on them. So in between the 2 million and the 2 billion, we think there's probably about 200 million users who want to spend some time, they want to have some degree of control over their pictures. I'd, I'd, say, you're, wanna some t- I'd say you're under mes- underestimating there, um, David. Uh, well, I, I would say... I think you're probably right. There's probably 2 billion users who are the people who use the shoebox principle. And as you say, Apple, Google, Amazon, wherever you want to chuck your pictures, do a reasonably good job of surfacing whatever you're looking for. Um, And at the higher end, I would say you're still underestimating because I know that there are quite a lot of users um, who are at least... I know we're a self-selecting group, but there's quite a lot of people in the essential Apple Slack group who would not class themselves as professional photographers, but do spend quite a lot of time, you know, keywording and um, worrying about, you know, managing their, their assets. That's Um, our user base. Yeah. So so I I would say 200 million. I I think you're way under there, David. Okay. I'd be happy to be under. I'm just picking numbers to begin with too. I I mean, I, I, (laughs) I mean, you say there's 2 billion people who really just chuck the stuff in the shoebox and let Apple or whatever sort it for them. I yeah. would have said your the user base you're attacking is probably in the three quarters of a billion to a billion. You want my okay, honest even guess? Even better. You know? Even better. And a lot of those people find Lightroom either too complicated or more than they need. Exactly. Um, so that's, that's our audience. So I'm going to tell you sort of uh, two stories that go with that. One kind of leads to the other. So another thing we do that nobody else does is we um, have spent a lot of time thinking about old pictures. So like, what's an old picture? Like, you know, my mother died about, um, wow, a year and a half ago. Okay. More. And, but about 10 years before she died, I was at her house and she had this uh, shelf, this low shelf, like a credenza with the TV on it in her, she had a little den and there were a bunch of photo albums underneath you know, typical. And I said, can I take them home and scan them? So I took a pile, the size of the pile was what I could carry. So, you know, it's like one one, one arm, one hand on the bottom, another yeah. hand on the top, a stack of albums. That turned out to be 14,000 pictures. Wow. That's a lot of pictures. Yeah. It's a lot of pictures. So a friend of mine, um, and, and then the problem is with these pictures, now you scan them all and there are like two ways to scan them. There's a way that doesn't work. If you start to scan them with your phone, you'll give up within half an hour. If you use a normal flatbed scanner, you'll give up in 10 minutes. It's just too tedious. So you either can send them out to be scanned or, uh, and this is a company that we hope to work with soon is Epson makes this amazing device called the fast photo scanner. And it's all about the mechanics. You put in a pile of photos and it scans them one per second. Excellent. So if you have four by sixes, five by sevens and eight by tens, you can go through thousands of them in a relatively short period of time. And it does a brilliant job. Okay, however you did it, you know, whether you sent them away or did it yourself, now you have, okay, so here's an example. A friend of mine decided he wanted to do a gift for his wife's 60th birthday, and they had a lot of 
old pictures, not only their own, but, you know, grandparents and parents, like typical, right? So he paid to have them scanned. And he actually went out of his way to find somebody who would scan them locally because he was unwilling to ship them. Like he said, if these pictures get lost by FedEx, yep. I can never get them back. You never get so them he back. He took them exactly. in personally. And, you know, so he ended up with the disc with 50,000 pictures on it. Ooh, Believe ooh. me, it's not that unusual if you no, go to I extend the family. No, I guess not. I guess not. Okay. So then he realized, like, this is not a gift. Like, what, like, what is my wife going to do with 50,000 pictures? Like, it's a burden. She, you know, she might look at it for two seconds, and then she's going to give up. So he actually went to the trouble of putting in the pictures into Google Photos and realized, so all those pictures, they're all there in one big pile. They're not in folders or anything. They're just one big pile. Maybe some of them are sort of organized by the album they came from, and they all have the same date, the date they were scanned. Yeah. Like, who cares when they were scanned? And if they have a geotag, it's the geotag of the place where they were yep. scanned. Who cares where they were scanned? <laughs> so Google has not a single feature for dealing with that problem. Okay. Apple has not a single feature for dealing with that problem. Even Adobe at the high end has not a single feature for dealing with that problem. So we've, we have a set of uh, features. For example, we have the ability to declare that photos are undated. That's the start. And then we have fuzzy dates. So you can say this photo was taken in the summer of 1967 or this photo was taken in July of 1984. And then we can do the same thing with geotags. That's coming. It's not quite done. And then here's the other thing. Once you start to assign those loose geotags, if you have a calendar, okay, if you're going back more than 20 years, what I'm about to say doesn't help. But if you're doing the last 20 years, we can hook up the GCAL, ICAL, or Outlook and pull out all of your events and then get rid of the ones that aren't associated with photos. It's like a form of smart album. So okay. if I went on a ski trip to uh, Les Trois Valets in uh, 2014, if I that will show up in Malio, I tap in the event and there are the pictures from it. So, so what he did is he tried Google, he tried Apple, and then he couldn't remember the name of the product. He was a colleague from Microsoft. So he looked me up and then he found Milio and he called me up. He was so excited. He said, David, a week after I installed Milio, I had a quarter of the pictures organized and I was able to give my wife the gift. And she said it was so beautiful because all of a sudden he said she was crying. There was a calendar. The calendar showed her life. There were, you know, she could look on the map and see where we went. He said it was all there. So it sort of to really put a fine point on that. So I'm going to look for a particular picture here. And I'm sorry for the people who are only hearing this, but maybe they'll go to the blog and they'll find it. So um, quite a long time ago, we were doing a lot of work with Scott Kelby, who is the guy who wrote a lot of the original Photoshop and Lightroom books. And um, I told them that one of the most interesting things about my Leo, yes, it's a dam. Yes, you can find documents and pictures really quickly. You can put them into folders. It's really, if you're running a small business, Milio is fantastic because in a business, everything is a project and every project is a folder. And Milio lets you share those folders with your team. So if I'm working on a project on an airplane and I create a new folder, when I land, my assistant and the rest of the people on the team will see it. But that's not personal. It's very important. And I said to Scott, those things are all important. But what you're going to find emotionally is if you put your pictures into Malio, you're going to start discovering pictures you don't even know you had. Okay. I said, okay. It just, he, you know, no reaction. About three weeks later, I'm meeting with Scott 
in another city. And he's like super emotional, like almost in tears. And he said, David, it was what you said. I was sitting on a plane looking at pictures that I'd forgotten I had on my phone. And the only reason I could do that is because Malio put all, everything everywhere, right? I couldn't have done it otherwise. And I discovered this picture I didn't even know I had. And then I had to explain to the person sitting next to me why I was crying. Okay, so the oldest memory I have of my father is him and me sitting on a beach north of Toronto. Like I must have been five years old. And I was sitting on a plane about two weeks after this experience with Scott and discovered this picture. And of course, the people who are only listening can't see it, but this is that picture I described to you. There's my father, there's me on a beach, you know, just north of Toronto. Yeah. And then I was the one who was in tears. Yeah. So I, I, I started it. by saying, go ahead. I started by saying, um, we're different than like other photo products, in a way, we're more than a photo product because we're a memory manager, information manager. We're not in competition with, I don't really think we're in competition with Adobe, maybe a little bit with Lightroom. Uh, we're not in competition with Google or Apple because the people who don't want to organize, you know, that's where they're going to go. And we're certainly not in competition with like Luminar or Affinity or because we we do editing. But if I want to do serious editing, I go from Mylio to Affinity or from Mylio yeah. to Luminar or Mylio to Photoshop. So we're a friend of theirs. We're the best friend of the folder system as well. But what we are trying to do is to change the way the world remembers. And, you know, that that's what this is all about. So yeah, I'm hoping that your users um, will try Mylio. Uh, it, you know, it helps oh. you organize your pictures, helps you protect your pictures, make sure you always have them where you need them. Well, uh, And I'd love to hear from them. My uh, email is david at mylio.com. Uh, and if you have problems, we're very committed to helping our users. Uh, hopefully you won't have problems, but I also like to hear, you know, that people love it. So that's and, me talking. Yeah, that's excellent, David. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And um, I will put a link to the recording, uh, the video recording in the, uh, you know, on the site and in the show notes. And um, just uh, kind of to wrap it up. David, would you, you like to give some of the listeners a bit of your history before you, uh, um, you know, started Milio? Because obviously um, you have a, a big history in the industry. I have a checkered past. <laughs> well, that's fine. I mean, let's face it. We had uh, Jean-Louis Gasset on, um, which was, you know, to me, a huge, a huge honour and, and a massive, I won't say a coup, but, you know, um, he was very gracious. I simply uh, tagged him on on Twitter and said, uh, Jean-Louis, would you come on our tiny little podcast? And he very graciously agreed and came on and talked about, you know, his life in Apple and technology, which was fabulous. And I, I'm very pleased to have, you know, been able to have you on, David. But um, just tell people some of your some of your okay. checkered past and, um, you know, just so they get a feel for who you are and where you sit in the technology spectrum. Sure. So let's start with I was born in Israel and uh, my parents... My mother was, um, we talked about her a little, she became an engineer in the 50s, like women didn't become engineers, and she did. And then my father was an engineer too. And we moved, I like to say I, I brought them to Toronto, but it wasn't quite like that, because I yeah. was two and a half years old. And uh, when I went to school, I didn't speak any English, because they didn't really speak English at home, it just didn't occur to them. So I thought the kids couldn't talk, and they thought that I was just stupid. Um, <laughs> so I learned to read very quickly. And went from not being able to read at all to reading at a sixth or seventh grade level and started, didn't have a lot of friends because I couldn't really play sports and um, could have, but, you know, it just 
Anyways, one new so, thing. Uh, yeah. I, Join I read the club. a huge amount. <laughs> Join I read the club, a huge amount. Of, so I read a huge amount of science fiction. I was reading ten to twelve books a week. Oh and, yeah, join the club there as well, man. When I was yeah, so, when I was young, my mother was a librarian, so um, I used to go to the library when I was kind of nine, ten, twelve years old. And um, in theory, the library—I believe the library um, book limit was three books. And I used to take out six because my mum was the Yeah, librarian. exactly. The librarian told me I could take out as many. I would ride up in my bicycle with a basket on the front. And the librarian told me there's a limit, but it doesn't apply to you because I know yeah. you're going to read them and bring them back. So however many books you can carry, you can take. And I could, I, yeah, I would take home, you know, these six science fiction books, you know, it'd be Robert Heinlein, uh, Isaac Asimov, yep. all the classics. Mary and, Niven, um, Ray Bradbury. Yeah, all of those. And I... I would devour them. Literally, I would read, you know, a book in a day, two books in a day. So I would take these six books home and then, you know, three days later, I'd be back at the library telling my mum, I'm done with these. I want some more. Right. So you and me both. Mm -hmm. So we were both reading about computers almost before there were computers. And so in 1966, uh, this is a really strange thing because in the city that I lived in, which was a suburb of Toronto, for some reason, they decided to install a computer in the high school I went to. And it was like a mainframe because that's what there was. It was mm-hmm. had a raised floor and glass windows in the walls and an operator. And it sat there and like nobody had any use for it. Like nobody even knew what it was. If you said computer in those days, people would look at you. People knew <laughs> what punched cards were, sort of. They didn't know why they existed. So I taught myself to program. And then in 1971... I wrote one of the first three email programs in the world. Um, And then I started my first software company in the late 70s. And we built a thing called a TP monitor. Now it would be called an app server. I wrote probably a million lines of code. Then I went to 3Com, which was founded by Bob Metcalf, who invented Ethernet. We all take Ethernet for granted, but there was a guy who invented it. I was employee 91. And then... um, in 1986, I joined Microsoft, which at the time I was employee number 902. So they had less than a thousand employees. And so oddly enough, I spent the first four years in a marketing job. And I, I you know, I'm holding my back myself back because every one of these stories could be 15 or 20 minutes. But um, <laughs> I helped convince the company to bet on Windows in the Windows office. And so I, we launched that in 1990. In 1988, I, I stood in front of the board and said, if we did this, the company would hit a billion dollars in sales. And so there was an hour's argument about the strategy and then an hour's argument about the billion dollars because the company was about $200 million a year at the time. Yeah. And then the president, not the CEO, the president, a guy named John Shirley, he said, look, let's stop. By definition, no software company can be a billion dollars a year because it's not even a manufactured product. But if David's strategy gets us to $400 million a year and we stop losing money on these personal apps, which was like Word, Multiplan, this was before Excel and so on, that would be great. Well, we hit the billion dollars. And then I started Microsoft Consulting, which I did for two years. That's a story too. And then I started the enterprise group. So the enterprise group in the beginning was me, just me. And then... um, I ran the enterprise group uh, for about eight years. At the end, I had about 8,500 people working for me. The organization worked really well. And I found that I didn't really enjoy running a big organization. So then I um, started the 
small business division and bought Great Plains, which at the time that was the largest acquisition Microsoft had ever done at over a billion dollars. You know, in those days, billion dollar acquisitions were a big deal. Now, yeah. of course, it's like nothing. No, I know. Um, but I, and I, then after doing after I, doing that for two years, uh, Bill Gates said to me, I want you to come work beside me and be CTO. So I did that for my last eight years there. So there you have it. There you go. Fabulous. Uh, fabulous. Well, what an interesting history, David. Very much so. Very interesting. Like I say, we had John Louis Gasset on and, you know, he was very gracious and told us stories about, you know, being at Apple, being at B, being at Palm. Um, it, it's fantastic. It, it, What I do like so very much is how people like yourself, John Louis, people from, well, people from big companies, you know, Ashley Houston, whoever, are quite happy to come and talk to me and my relatively small podcast and, you know, tell us interesting stories about how things come to be because I think it's important. You know, it's yeah. all it's all very nice to look at the big, new, shiny thing, but often with more modern, uh, how could I put it, with more recent developments, often you don't hear any of the backstory. You know, this thing just is and... Yeah. How many how many readers do you have on the blog? Um the blog probably 300 the podcast itself 4 to 500 on a regular okay. basis. Um when we have special guests like you it sometimes goes higher especially if we you know promote it i mean i'll put out a, a tweet and you know if you would retweet it to your followers you know that will obviously push up the listenership um i think our our highest has probably been a thousand listens um we're not a very big podcast but obviously the people who follow us are very dedicated technology people so um thank you very much for coming on david and giving us your time my pleasure we okay, really appreciate thank you very much okay. okay all right david thank you thank you very much yeah. oh before you go uh we'd yeah. like to do what we call the wrap up so please tell all the listeners where they can find your stuff around the web www.mylio.com. Mylio is M-Y-L-I-O, which you can think of as my life is organized. It's not really what it is, but it, it sort of is. It kind of works. So www.mylio.com. <laughs> and my email is david at mylio.com. Okay. And do you have a Twitter or do you not engage in that? No, I, it's better to do mail. I do have a Twitter. I have to admit, I, it's, uh, I should start using it more. That's going to be one of my resolutions for the new year. Okay. Okay. So, all right. Thank you, David. And um, if you want to find David's Twitter, I guess go to his website and when he's active, he'll put it on My there. Twitter is actually my full name, David Vaskovich. So you get the challenge of spelling out the last name. <laughs> I'll put a link in the show notes, David. Don't you worry. Well, thank, okay, you, thank you so very much for giving up your time. My pleasure. It's been fabulous. We really always enjoy having guests on and um, I'm sure... <clears throat> Our guests will be, you know, our listeners will be very, very interested in your product. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Have a nice day, mate. Okay. All right. Bye. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. 
And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Shots and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com Take a look at the available podcast and take a listen. Some people like their live casts to be informative, to the point, provocative, and timely. The Mac to the Future live cast is some of those things, but we won't say which ones. Join Dave Ginsberg, Guy Searle, and Warren Sklar for a weekly dose of Apple Fun every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time over on Facebook or in the Mac to the Future Facebook group. Until then, goodbye.